0: Isaiah 38 and 39. Keep your attention to the reading of God's perfect word. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die. You shall not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Please, O Lord, remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of David your father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add fifteen years to your life. I will deliver you in this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria and will defend this city. This shall be the sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do this thing that he has promised. Behold, I will make the shadow cast by the declining sun on the dial of Ahaz turn back ten steps. So the sun turned back on the dial, the ten steps by which it had declined. A writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, after he had been sick and recovered from his sickness. I said, in the middle of my days I must depart. I am consigned to the gates of Sheol for the rest of my years. I said, I shall not see the Lord, the Lord in the land of the living. I shall look on man no more among the inhabitants of the world. My dwelling is plucked up and removed from me like a shepherd's tent. Like a weaver, I have rolled up my life. He cuts me off from the loom. From day to night, you bring me to an end. I calmed myself until morning. Like a lion, he breaks all my bones. From day to night, you bring me to an end. Like a swallow or a crane, I chirp. I moan like a dove. My eyes are weary with looking upward. O Lord, I am oppressed. Be my pledge of safety. What shall I say? For he has spoken to me, and he himself has done it. I walk slowly all my years because of the bitterness of my soul. O Lord, by these things men live, and in all these things is the life of my spirit. O restore me to health and make me live. Behold, it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness. But in love you have delivered my life from the pit of destruction, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. For Sheol does not thank you. Death does not praise you. Those who go down to the pit do not hope for your faithfulness. The living, the living, he thanks you as I do this day. The father makes known to the children your faithfulness. The Lord will save me and we will play my music on stringed instruments all the days of our lives at the house of the Lord. Now Isaiah had said, let them take a cake of figs and apply it to the boil that he may recover. Hezekiah also had said, what is the sign that I shall go up to the house of the Lord? At that time. Merodach Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he had heard that he had been sick and recovered. And Hezekiah welcomed them gladly, and he showed them his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his whole armory, all that was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet came to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say, and from where did they come to you? Hezekiah said, they have come to me from a country far away from Babylon. He said, what have they seen in your house? Hezekiah answered, they have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing in my storehouses that I did not show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up to this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away. And they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. For he thought, there will be peace and security in my days. Praise be to the Lord who teaches us his decrees. We rejoice in his statutes as one rejoices in great riches. Amen. Fear and pride, two great threats to the Christian life. In Revelation, John depicts two enemies, the great beast who makes us afraid, and the woman of Babylon who seduces our pride. Our natural love of these enemies is why we so desperately need God. Don't you experience it again and again? Fear leads us to doubt God, to take matters into our own hands, and to do whatever it takes to feel like we have some control. We all act out of sinful fear from time to time. But you cannot walk with Jesus and remain comfortable with fear having control of your life. Pride makes us diminish what God thinks and elevates what others think. It leads us to boast, to gossip, and to lie. We'll do whatever it takes to get more, to have more. We'll give more, as long as others know it came from us. We all give in to pride from time to time. But you can't walk with Jesus and remain comfortable with pride having control of your life. Throughout the Old Testament, Israel is ruled not by God, but by fear and by pride. There are moments of revival when religious zeal is widespread, and there is always a faithful remnant like Hezekiah. But on the whole, the nation prefers to live her way rather than God's. The promises that God offers can never quite overwhelm their own approach to their needs, fear. And their approach to their wants. Pride. Judah needs God. They're a mess. But they choose fear and pride instead. For that persistent (coughs) unfaithfulness, Israel will be taken into captivity. Chapter 39 is the first unambiguous announcement of that judgment. It ends the first major section of Isaiah on a tragic note. Isaiah has come to the people from God and preached the truth. God has given signs and miraculously delivered them while warning them of the judgment that is to come if they don't turn. But they will not believe him. And even a king like Hezekiah, one of the good ones in Judah's history, he cannot save them. Honoring his faith, God will only delay the inevitable. It won't be Assyria, but Babylon. It won't be this century, but the next. But all the pieces are here. The script is written. The people have chosen fear and pride over God. And exile is coming. It's a contrast to chapters 36 and 37 that offer this beautiful account of Hezekiah's faithfulness. The story where he chose faith over fear. Though Jerusalem was surrounded by the Assyrian army, and though God was the last place he turned, Hezekiah did turn to God. The cutting off of every other option made God real in a new way for Hezekiah. He trusted God, overcoming his fear, and as a result, the whole nation was saved. One author describes it how Hezekiah's sense of God. Made him brave. I love that line. Our sense of God should make us brave. And that bravery, that faith was rewarded when God came through in a big way. It was an Ebenezer, a big moment of God's faithfulness for him to remember. Don't you have some of those Ebenezers in your life? What are some of the moments that you should look back on? When even though the fear was nearly overwhelming, you trusted God and He came through. There should be those times in our lives where we act in a kind of faith that we can hardly explain, the kind of faith that surprises, maybe even concerns those around us. If you don't have those Ebenezers, I'd ask you, what's holding you back from trusting God that much? Is it fear or is it pride? Hezekiah turned to trust in God at the 11th hour and the 59th minute. And you know what? God received him. God did not turn him away for delaying so long. It's never too late to trust in God. And these Ebenezers, these big moments of God's faithfulness, start a virtuous cycle because they strengthen our spines for future times of trouble. They give rise to more situations where we choose God over fear and pride. And in this life, we're never far from the next trial. Neither was Hezekiah. Chapter 38, he has to face down another one. Verse 1 Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die. You shall not recover. Hezekiah becomes seriously ill and God tells him that his days are numbered. Talk about scary. Not just you don't know if you're going to recover from this illness. God himself sends the prophet to tell you you're dead. What would he do? What does it look like to live by faith in a moment like that? What does it look like to lay down your fear and your pride when all you see in the future is dark? Isaiah answers, though his Hebrew way of organizing a story can be confusing. The bullet points, the summary of what happened, are in verses 2 through 6. Hezekiah prayed in humility and faith. God heard his prayer and sent Isaiah to tell him that he would have 15 more years to live. And to confirm that promise, God sent a miraculous sign. He basically bent the sunlight so that it would reflect differently on a sundial. Verses 10 through 20 then go backward in the story to fill in more details, to give us more insight into what Hezekiah prayed. And verses 21 and 22 give more detail about the interaction between Hezekiah and Isaiah at the time of his healing. From that expanded information, and from the records of this event in Kings and Chronicles, the same story is told in three places. The Bible's takeaway for us on this is that Hezekiah is a man of true faith. In the moment where he gets this death sentence, he doesn't want to die. And he cries out that God would save him. But the reasons that he gives are the fruit of beautiful faith. He doesn't want to die in part because he loves the kind of fellowship that he has with God in this life. He doesn't want to die because he loves worship. He even appreciates how these moments of trial have the effect of renewing his zeal for God and his closeness to God. In the moment that you learn that you're going to die, fear could take control. But Hezekiah shows us what happens when faith takes control instead. It presents a challenging question for us. When trials come, do they drive you toward God or away from him? If we love our sin and trials are his discipline and warning, our pride can drive us away from God. If we hate our sin, but are so ashamed we think we cannot be forgiven, fear drives us away from God. When trials come and we believe that God cannot be trusted to keep us safe and satisfied, fear drives us away. When we think we deserve better than what we're getting in this life, pride drives us away. When all we want is control in our trials, believing that we can do better for ourselves than God can, pride drives us away. But in all these trials, no matter the form, God is the very thing we need most. Through faith, not fear or pride, Hezekiah is drawn closer to God in times of trial. He's renewed in his zeal for fellowship with God and the privilege of worship. He's also refreshed in his purpose, the spiritual restoration of Israel. This brush with death reminds him of the good work that God has called him to and enabled him to do in Judah and the joy of a life that is lived in God's service. And by drawing close to God, Hezekiah is ready to die. Even though he wants to live, in this drawing close to God, he shows how ready he is. One pastor preached, that is why he strengthens and encourages himself, declaring that whatever he did was done with a good conscience and concluding that although he must die, his service has not been displeasing to God. This opens for him a path to prayer and good hope. Even in the face of this dark news, a path to prayer and good hope is opened up. Why? Faith wins out over pride and fear. Fear and pride cause us to underestimate the power of a clean conscience. When we live for God, an audience of one, and when we obey his commandments by loving His neighbor, our neighbors as ourselves, It is amazing how untroubled we can be regardless of the circumstances. You want an angst-free life? Try one where you don't have to compare yourself to others. Resent your circumstances or fear what you will or won't get. Draw closer to God. Fear will not cause Hezekiah to turn away from God. That's the record of his kingship, that on the whole, it is one of faithfulness. But that record is also a good reminder of why we need God. Hezekiah had enough faith to be saved, but he did not have enough faith to save himself. As the king of Judah, God had given Hezekiah great wealth. But as with all that God gives, he should have considered himself its steward, not its owner. Considering yourself a steward provokes gratitude and generosity. Considering yourself an owner provokes greed and boasting. When we look at what God has given us, whether it's money and material possessions or relationships or reputation, when we look at what God has given us and say on the inside, mine, pride is. Has taken hold. For Hezekiah, it wasn't just about the wealth, it was about the whole kingship. Remember how he had just prayed to God with gratitude and a clean conscience for his service in Judah. That faith was when the enemy was fear. At that moment, in that battle, faith won. But now, in chapter 39. An envoy from Babylon comes, supposedly to celebrate Hezekiah's recovery. That's when the other enemy within Hezekiah takes control. One teacher put it this way, When Satan cannot defeat us as the roaring lion, he comes to us as the deceiving serpent. What Assyria could not do with weapons, Babylon did with gifts. You see, fear couldn't conquer the faithful king. Though it was a struggle, a struggle for his very soul, the Assyrian army ultimately came up short as Hezekiah chose faith over fear. But these Babylonian ambassadors, with their gifts and with their flattery, they present a different challenge. Hezekiah had courage despite fearful circumstances, but pride took his eye off the ball. And it's usually one or the other. It's sometimes both, but it's usually we have our guard up well against one, and that's when the other comes calling. In some parts of the world, it's said, persecution is Satan's strategy. In ours, it's seduction. But Satan doesn't care one way or the other as long as he wins. These Babylonians aren't here to honor the king of Judah. Judah is hardly a blip on the radar for Babylon. Their riches and accomplishments are simply unimpressive on the world stage. But they'll let Hezekiah show them around. They'll endure his pathetic boasting while they catalog each item that will be theirs when they finally decide to capture this podunk kingdom and take its people into exile. It's ironic, isn't it? How pathetic we look and sound when we act out of prideful insecurity. Trying to make ourselves look bigger and better, we just look small. Look at the end of verse 2. There was nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Running from room to room. Did you see this? Did you see that? Look at what I have here. Look at what we've done here. We want others to acknowledge us, to admire us, to consider us as equals or better. Insecurity is tough because insecurity links together fear and pride into one great super enemy of our souls. Kids, I think this may be the hardest thing about growing up. Some of us are boasters. We show off, we praise ourselves, we exaggerate our accomplishments. We put others down, we bully, or we refuse to befriend. Why? Because in pride, we want others to think that we matter. Others, so that we can fit in, will decide to talk exactly how our peers talk. Gossip, cruelty, or vulgarity. Or we'll allow ourselves to be sexualized. Wear revealing clothing, participate in pornography, let others act out their lusts with us. We will do anything the world wants from us. Why? Because we want the world to think we matter. Both are pride. Whether it looks grand and boastful or whether it looks sad and pathetic, both are pride. And it's pride that is offensive to God because it says we need others approval more than his we can't walk with jesus and be content with that pride in charge of our lives and as grown-ups we make a lot of excuses for our pride i can make excuses for hezekiah he's just being hospitable he's being a good host with visiting dignitaries He knew in the back of his mind that God had given him this wealth. He was doing good things with the wealth all throughout the kingdom. You're missing the point. What happens here isn't even about his walk with God. It's true that we must be very careful when looking at actions about drawing conclusions about what motivated those actions. But at this moment, for Hezekiah, there are warning signs in the passage, and 1 Kings tells us plainly what's going on. But Hezekiah did not make return according to the benefit done to him, for his heart was proud. Therefore, wrath came upon him and Judah and Jerusalem. And when we look at our own hearts, when we examine ourselves as we ought to, don't we see ways that we're just making excuses for fear and pride as well? The fact that we argue in so many situations that it's not about God in that moment. Isn't that exactly the point? Our behavior should always be about God. We live for an audience of one. God healed Hezekiah and gave him an extra 15 years. And you would think that if someone gets that, the result would be the 15 years of the most grateful, faithful service in their whole life. But that's not how fallen fallen humans work, is it? Even the best of us, we're a mess. That's why we need God. It says Hezekiah did not make return according to the benefit done for him. Though he displayed great faith over fear, His budding concern for what others thought about him blossomed into sinful and destructive pride. One of my mentors in the faith used to pray, probably still does, that God would end his life before he did anything to bring dishonor to the gospel of the church. He had seen so many pastors and theologians in their old age say and do things that brought shame to the gospel. And he said, Lord, please don't allow me to do it. God had a purpose for healing Hezekiah and we don't second guess that. But there's a human sense in which we can honestly say that Hezekiah lived 15 years too long. He's not going to use this time well if this is what he's going to do with it. If you ever get to the point where you think your sanctification is done, you better start praying for personal revival. And if you do... God will give it to you. We see here that imperfect as it is, God accepts Hezekiah's faith. God will give that revival to you. He delays Hezekiah's death. He delays Judah's captivity so that Hezekiah doesn't have to experience it himself. He is pleased with his servant Hezekiah enough, whose faith is enough to save him. Even though his response to the whole thing is pretty prideful. Pretty selfish. But can you imagine how it would have gone for Hezekiah if instead of bringing his faith, weak as it is, he'd brought only his works to God as a basis for salvation? Yeah, Lord, here's what I'm offering for why I should get into your heaven. I turned to you at the last possible moment while under the Assyrian threat. Then I acted in pride even after you'd spared me from death because I cared more about what the Babylonians thought of me than humility before you. He's a mess. So are we. We often make no sense. God acts in faithfulness. We have this track record of who God is and yet we act in individual moments as if it's 50-50. We forget the Ebenezer's that God placed in our lives. We forget that the safest and most satisfying place in all the universe is an obedient walk with God. And I didn't say safe. I said safest. We forget that his judgment of us and not the world's, is all that matters. Humility before God is of much greater value than pride before the world. But us, these messes, we are who God saves. In His grace, it's the Hezekiahs, it's the you and I's that God is pleased to save. Christian, be grateful for what he's given be a good steward of those things rejoice in his salvation bask in the acceptance of his forgiveness and above all trust god trust him over your fears and your pride ask that question when trials come ask the question of yourself in situations from day to day is this about my fear or my pride or my god Pray for him to show you where each of those is in control of your life, to forgive you for that sin, and to renew your strength to put fear and pride to death. We're a mess. We make no sense. We need God. And God is here for us.